as I was preparing for this homily, I couldn't but help and see from these readings that, that God is abundantly good. Uh, I want to talk about the first reading, I'll talk a bit about the second, and then I'll talk lastly about the gospel reading. So first of all, the, the context of our first reading, it's, it's from the prophet Isaiah. He's speaking to the people of Israel, or, or God is speaking to the people of Israel through, um, through Isaiah, to the people of Judah through Isaiah. Uh, the, the people of Israel and Judah, they have turned away from God. They've gone to other gods, they've worshipped other gods. And what ended up happening is many of them are starving to death. Their wells have been taken over by the enemy. And they're, they're really struggling just to have water to drink, food to eat. So the Lord says, All you who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come receive grain and eat. Anybody without water, anybody without food, when they hear those words, immediately you're thinking, like, where's the water? Where's, where's the food? How, how, how can I get to it? You know, that's because your heart is drawn, you're hungry, you're thirsty for that. Come without pain and without cost. It's free. It's free. Drink wine and milk. The, the excitement that one would have, especially after starving for so length of time. Why spend your money for what is not bread, your wages for what fails to satisfy? Heed me, and you shall eat well. You shall delight in rich fare. And here's the key. Come to me heedfully. Listen that you may have life. The people had been dying, of course, spiritually, but even more so um, physically. They were, they were dying because they had turned away from God. They were turning to false gods, passing things, the gods of the nations. And the Lord says, come to me heedfully. Listen that you may have life. He is the source of their life. This next line we hear, we probably didn't think much about it when it was read just a few moments ago. Um, I will renew with you the everlasting covenant. I will renew with you the everlasting covenant. What is the everlasting covenant? The everlasting covenant is the covenant that God made with Abraham, that he made with, with Isaac, with Jacob, that he made with Moses. It's this covenant with his people. God has chosen this people, the descendants of Abraham, to be his own. And he has entered into covenant with them. They are his. It's like a marriage. Like a, a marriage is a covenant where two parties make a, a commitment towards each other to be always faithful. Of course, one or both parties could break that covenant. When it comes to the covenant with God, the everlasting covenant, the only one that can break that covenant is us. God is always true to the covenant. He always stays there. But the people have broken this covenant, and he says to them, I will renew with you the everlasting covenant. Meaning, if you come back to me, we're no longer going to be divorced. We're going to be together. I will renew with you the everlasting covenant. And then he calls to mind the benefits assured to David. King David, as you know, was the most popular king there in the land of Israel, in the land of Judah. He was the, a very important king because of his faithfulness. The people were drawn back to God. It was the first time uh, that the all, all 12 tribes were brought together. They were unified. They weren't fighting amongst themselves. And furthermore, the nations were cast out. 
King David was very prominent in overthrowing the gods of the nations and worshiping the one true God. Even when King David sinned, we're familiar with the time, you know, that he committed adultery with Bathsheba, you know, a married woman, and, and then he had her husband killed because he didn't want to be caught. He didn't want to be found out. But what's so beautiful is when the prophet came to him and said that, that he had sinned against the Lord, immediately King David had a change of heart. He turned back towards God. Psalm 51 is that psalm of repentance. He entered back into the covenant with God, and the people were kept safe. His own son Solomon was, that's when, when we really saw the, the height of, of the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, where King Solomon builds this beautiful temple towards God. He builds, you know, um, all he collects all this gold, all these utensils, everything. He was very, very wise, but his downfall was he, he loved women, women in the plural, and he had over 400 wives, it is said, and a bunch of concubines. But not only did he do that, but he allowed their gods to come back into Israel so that they were serving all these gods. Then um, Solomon's son lost half the kingdom, or more than half the kingdom bringing them to, you know, to this point. But when they think of David, when they think of King David, it's all these benefits, all these good things that come from God. Because David is faithful to God, God is abundantly good. God is abundantly good to his people. When people are not experiencing goodness, especially spiritual goodness, it's because one has turned one's heart away from God. Now, uh, coming to our, our second reading, St. Paul to the Romans. What will separate us from the love of Christ? What will separate us from this abundant goodness of God? Will anguish, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? None of these things can separate us from the love of God. You know what separates, from, separates us from the love of God? It's our own choice. No family member can separate us from the love of God. No neighbor can separate us. Not even all the trials that we go through can separate us. But we can choose to be divorced from God. We can break that everlasting covenant. God won't break it, but we can. God is abundantly good to us. We see a glimpse of that then in the gospel reading. The context of this gospel reading it, this, this gospel immediately follows what we've been hearing the last few Sundays, all these parables. Jesus has been teaching the people. Jesus has been teaching them all kinds of, of things. He's been with them for great lengths of time. Um, at this point in Matthew's account, Jesus hears that his own cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed. We all know who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist was this forerunner to Christ. John the Baptist was then arrested by Herod because John the Baptist preached to Herod saying, you're not supposed to be living with your brother's wife. Uh, Herod had, was committing adultery with, with Herodias, his own brother's wife. And it was probably because of Herodias, um, or it was because of both of them, but John the Baptist said to them, you're not supposed to be doing that. Herod continued to like John the Baptist, but Herodias hated John the Baptist and was looking for a way to kill him. 
And then when Herodias' own daughter had this dance before the king, before Herod, Herod said to this, this girl, I will give you whatever you ask of me, even if it be half my kingdom. We all have heard that phrase in fairy tales and this and that. That's where it comes from. It comes from the scriptures, from Herod himself. So this, this girl runs off to her mom and says, well, what do I ask for? And, and Herodias says, ask for on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The girl goes back to Herod, says this. Herod doesn't want to, you know, be, look foolish amongst all of his, his uh, servants and all the, the officials of the city. So he has John the Baptist killed. Jesus hears news of this. You can imagine his heart is perturbed. He, he, we know he wept, you know, when his friend Lazarus was killed. Now when his own cousin, you know, this happens. So the gospel begins today. When Jesus heard of the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew in a boat to a deserted place by himself. He needs some alone time. He's human. The crowds heard of this and followed him on foot from their towns. Jesus would often use the, the Sea of Galilee. You know, he'd go across in a boat. You know, it might be four or five miles across. You can usually go faster in a boat than going on foot. But he had become so popular at this point so that when they, they see that he's going across, they spread word along the way and ran ahead of him, spread news to the towns that Jesus is coming in the boat. So that when Jesus arrives on shore, it says... When he, dis, when he disembarked and saw the vast crowd, his heart was moved with pity for them. Jesus is God. He's abundantly good. And when he sees the crowds there, his heart is moved with pity for them, with compassion. And he cured their sick. He's exhausted. And yet his heart is moved with pity. And then the evening comes and the disciples approach him and they say, this is a deserted place and is already late. Dismiss the crowd so that they can go to the villages and buy some food for themselves. Jesus turns to them and say, says, there is no need for them to go away. Give them some food yourselves. And then they give him five loaves and two fish and he multiplies the five loaves and the two fish. And there's four words that we hear. He takes, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. Took, blessed, broke, gave. We're familiar with those words because they call to mind the Mass. The Last Supper, when Jesus takes the bread, he gives thanks, he blesses it. He breaks it and he gives it to the disciples. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. There, there have been Protestant pastors, there have been priests who have given homilies that that, well, the real miracle here is the sharing. You know, the Jews were, uh, just decided to share amongst themselves, you know, their own lunch that they had brought along and this and that. Um, these preachers denying completely that Jesus is able to, capable of multiplying loaves and fish. I don't know if you have ever heard a homily like that. When I was going through Twitter um, just yesterday, um, a number of different priests, they were talking about that. Hopefully nobody's going to hear a homily that the people decide to share. <laughs> that the miracle is Jesus multiplies the loaves and fish. If Jesus can rise from the dead, why can't he turn five loaves and two fish into many, many loaves and many fish and feed 5,000 men 
not counting the women and children. Why can't he do that? We know he's God. We know he can do that. And we believe that he did that. But it's this, it's this part that I want to point out. Because Jesus, we know, is preparing them for the Mass. He's preparing them for the Holy Eucharist. At Mass, right after the, the bread and the wine are blessed, the words of Jesus are spoken once again. Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body. It becomes his body truly. Then when Jesus takes the, the chalice filled with the fruit of the vine, he says, take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood. Listen to these words. The blood of the new and eternal covenant which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. What is that covenant? It's the covenant between God and us. God is abundantly good. He wants to bestow His blessings upon us, and He wants us to enter into this covenant. It's why we attend Mass, because we're renewing this covenant with God. This covenant where Jesus gives himself to us in Holy Communion. It's why when somebody is in mortal sin, they are not to approach this great sacrament because, because they don't want to enter into the covenant. They're saying, I don't want to be a part of that covenant. And then when one comes into the covenant, St. Paul uses a, a rather blunt and crazy example he uses, um, it's, it's similar to, uh, and i got to be careful how I use this word, but it, it becomes similar to two unmarried people having relations. He says, this is a covenant with God. You've entered into it, and you are to stay in it. We renew it at every Mass. God is abundantly good to us. Sometimes we doubt that. Sometimes we go after other things, things of this world, because we doubt God's goodness. But today as we attend Mass, we renew this covenant with God and we say, I want to be with you. I want to be with you for all eternity. At the end of every Mass, on the first Sunday of the month. Um, Herefore, we're going to be having Eucharistic adoration, where we're able to just kneel before our good God and worship Him and give Him thanks. We're able to praise Him for how good He's been to us, and also open our hearts, because we know He established this covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And we bring our sins before Him, and we ask His mercy. We ask His goodness. Most of all, we ask for the grace to enter heaven. So at the end of Mass and the first Sunday of every month, we'll, we'll be having a bit of um, Eucharistic exposition and adoration. And as you've heard the last few Sundays, um, on Thursdays from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., we're going to be having Eucharistic exposition and adoration where, where many of you have come before God and you spend an hour with Jesus. Uh, there are now more than 25 people signed up for this, which I'm really excited about. I'm 
very, very excited about it. Um, but we're still, there are still five or six hours in the middle of the day that are open. There's someone signed up for every hour, but we're encouraged to have two people present at all times in case somebody should walk in and one needs help of any sort. So um, I, I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're able, especially if you live in Kilder, I want to really encourage you to, to take an hour, take an hour with the Lord. And you'll, it, it might be hard at first because our pride always gets in the way. We just want to live our lives the way we want to live our lives. But you'll notice that after a year goes by, spending an hour a week before the Blessed Sacrament, your heart's going to be changed. Your heart's going to be changed. Not only will your heart be changed, but many others in the parish. So I want to encourage you to um, come spend some time with the Lord to stay in this uh, new and eternal covenant.